Amen. What was Thursday? What was the date? December 7th. December 7th. Why is December 7th a famous date? Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. As the president said, a day that will live in infamy. I was teaching a, a chapel service at a, a boy's home on Thursday, and I asked them, what's today? Why is it important? Could not answer it. I said, well, that's how much they've taught history, if you don't know December 7th. And why is December 7th such a day of infamy? Okay, but what, what made it so horrible? Attack without warning. While the bombing started, they were still to, uh, translating from Japanese to English the Japan's declaration that they were at war. And so for weeks, they had been moving the ships in place to be able to do the attack, never said a word. They started the attack, and finally the president got the notification that they were at war. How about September 11th, 2001? Twin Towers. That day is, is even worse than Pearl Harbor. But what makes it worse is that eight to nine years beforehand, those who perpetrated the crime had told us we were at war. And we didn't believe them. We never prepared for anything terrorist. And all of a sudden, two towers go down. Uh, New York is, comes to a standstill. In fact, the nation comes to a standstill because we were not prepared for what took place. Today, we're going to talk about the second darkest day in history, all of history. And it has some very, very much some parallels between Pearl Harbor and 9-11 because there was a war going on that Adam and Eve didn't know about and they were deceived. And not just towers fell down, the whole creation fell. Okay, if you got that, you kind of have an idea of the magnitude of that day. Let's do a little review about the scriptures. It's one volume, 66 books, two main sections divided into Old and New Covenant, which really isn't, we, we, we make it sound as if they're two different covenants. There actually is a former and a latter, the beginning and the growing covenant. And it's filled with history, writings, literature, um, poetry, wisdom. One author, God himself, through 40 men over 2,000 years, overseen by the Holy Spirit so that he guided them as they went through. One subject in the whole book, Christ, the King of the Kingdom that God has developed. And you need to keep that in mind because in our day and age, we have divided that Christ is only New Testament and he isn't in the Old Testament. And we'll see as we go through the book, he certainly is. In fact, he's even here in chapter 3. Uh, Old Testament is a promise. New Testament is a fulfillment of those promises. 
one theme, the kingdom of God, the rule of God. And the phrase that our author is using is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Last week we took a look at the pattern, creation, as kind of the overview for the rest of the Bible. The things that you learn in those first two chapters keep coming up in the rest of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible keeps going back. We'll see that even today as we take a look at the third chapter. So that's why we're taking a long time, two, two classes for three chapters. And we still have 65 books and a bunch of chapters after to deal with, with about eight or nine more classes. So we'll, we will pick up the pace, but you have to know this stuff to know what else is going on. So today we're going to take a look at the perishing kingdom. I'll just, quite frankly, if I were writing this book, I would not have used that word. I would have used the word the perverted kingdom. It's a perversion of creation. It's not perishing. In fact, hopefully as we go through, I'll show you why that's misleading of, of a title. Um, now, don't write to the author and say he ought to change it just because I said it. Don't, 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 please don't. Don't get me into trouble. I'm retired. I can get out of it. No. <laughs> okay. Let's take a look at the video. So let's start. Genesis 3. We're going to look at the temptation. And you have it on your sheet there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the first thing in the book and in the videos, where does evil come from? Well, you have to know God is sovereign, holy, and loving. He is sovereign. Everything happens under his watch and by his permission, if we would put it this way. But we'll come back to that. He's holy. He sets things up in the right way. And he is loving. He does it in such a way. Think, think of the pattern. He creates this perfect environment. I mean, it doesn't even rain. They don't even think about snow. The mist comes out of the ground to water the plants. And from which they, they get even the rivers themselves. He makes Adam and Eve perfect individuals. You know they're perfect because they didn't have belly buttons. So they weren't born. They were created. They are complementary. The two of them fit together like a hand in a glove. They're in a place where all the animals are there at their beck and call. And they get to, to uh, name them. They get to work with them. They get to work with all of the, the uh, plants and animals. In fact, the image is almost as they're in a garden. Outside needs to be cultivated like the garden in, in which they live. And part of it is, okay, you, you cultivate your garden. Then you go to your neighbor's lot and you work on his or her property. That is the uncultivated area. That was their work. They had 
They had no excuse for getting up in the morning and saying, what am I going to do today? See? And they're absolutely perfect. They get their sleep. They don't wake up late like I did this morning. My wife woke me up at 9 a.m. in the morning, and I had to be out of the house by 9.30. So if I falter, it's because I didn't get a chance to study this stuff this morning. No. The idea is it's absolute perfect environment. And the things that we put into our reasons why people fail. Environment, no work, bad relationships, uh, didn't have teaching. And all those externals, they're not there. And that's, what, that's a loving part of God. He put them in this perfect environment. But there's also one that I don't think the author emphasized enough. And that is, God's working his plan. He puts them in a perfect environment. But it's not like their sin all of a sudden hit, you know, came to him and he didn't know it. Like, I should have seen that one coming. He knew it was going to happen. It's part of his plan. And so people have thought about, well, how did he create the world? He, he created it the best of all possible worlds. Because if it was not the best, he wouldn't have said, it's very, very good. He would have said, eh, I, I need to tweak this a little bit. Now, the best of all possible worlds. And some have said, well, even this world is the best of all possible worlds because it is unfolding God's plan for the universe. That's not much of a comfort to those who are going through troubled times. But it is a comfort in the sense that, okay, God is taking you through this for a reason. He decided the best way to glorify his name was to allow evil to come into his best possible world. Absolutely amazing. Would you and I have done it that way? No. I wanted easy, lazy boy life. You know, no problems. Coast along. Do my work. Never have an issue. But his glory is best seen in the light of evil. Periodically, I like to go buy Peg some jewelry. Oh, yeah. I know how to get the bread buttered. Come on. <laughs> you go to a jeweler and they bring out a diamond. I've never seen one this big. But they, what do they, they put it on a white background? Black. Because you see the beauty of the diamond. That's exactly why. God knew that his glory would be best understood in reference to evil. The blackness behind it. And it also shows that he's, he's the one who governs. How many of you read the book Job? You know, it's, it's in your Bible. Right before Psalms. It's the one no one likes to read because it's so depressing. <laughs> no, that's a book by Albert Camus. <laughs> Job. Is, it's a parallel to Job, but it has Camus' nihilism in it. Um, unless you read the first two chapters, you're really befuddled. Because the answers sound so good that the friends give. But they're meaningless. 
because you don't know why what took place. Evil would be meaningless unless you knew why it took place. And that is, God wants to show that he governs. He can overcome. And he permitted it. In fact, a better way to put it, because I'm, I'm not too sure God permitted it. Says he willed to permit it. To say he permitted it almost makes him an agent of evil, which is not God. But he willed to permit it. And then uh, someone else was the agent of bringing in evil. Okay? And that brings us to the temptation. You have the re rebellion in the angelic world. And there's two verses there that show you what it is. There's a one from Jude 6. And the angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They left their proper dwelling. They didn't stay in their own position. And the major question is, why? They were created perfect in a perfect environment. They had freedom of choice, will, and their will was not tainted in any way. Why would they break away? And this is going to be the question for the day. In what way? Why? Pride is usually the answer that's given. And you know what pride is. Pride is I in the middle. Me placed in the middle. For some reason, the one who would be called Satan and all of his henchmen, we're not too sure exactly how many, there's a minority opinion, said, we don't want to be with God, we want to be against God. And there's two words that usually describe that. They want to be autonomous, a law unto themselves, to be able to do what they want to do. They also want to be independent, to be out from underneath his control. Now, if you think about it, isn't that a stupid thing? Here you have a sovereign God who controls every atom, every being, and you're going to say to him, nah, I can go my own way. He's just going to sit there and laugh. It's like, it's like little kids who say they're going to do their own thing. And you kind of laugh at them. It's, uh, one of our boys when I was very young used to like to box. And he'd come up there and I'd just put my hand out on his, on his head and hold him back. And he'd swing away and I'm really doing great, am I? I haven't even laid a hand on you yet. <laughs> Independence. And you see, that, that's usually the, the uh, picture of why it would occur. But you see how foolish it is? And that's what sin is. Sin is folly. It's not thinking right. It's not thinking under the parameters. When did it occur? When do you think it occurred? Someone has an idea of when it occurred. 
Who can give the parameters? Okay. Why do you say after the first day? May the heavens and the earth, okay. So what do you do with Genesis, the seventh day? And God saw what he had made and he said it's very, very good. And if they're rebellious angels, is it very, very good? No. He would have said, it's very good except for that part over there. <laughs> that one didn't work at all. No. I say I would say it's the between the seventh day and Genesis three. How much time elapsed between those two? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't give us a timeline, but somewhere in there, evil entered into the existence. Okay, Satan's tactics. Did a nice job. He distorts God's word. Genesis 3.1. Did he really say? And let me, let me help you in your Bible reading, okay? When you read, just don't read the words. Read with feeling. And Satan said, did he really say? Is that the way you think he said it? Did he really say? Not to eat of it. Because you're using your imagination. The Bible is meant to be read creatively with imagination. That means you, it doesn't mean you add things in. But it does say, let's take a look at what this would have been like. Okay? Questions God's word. Is it, is it true? It's not true. Come on. Do you think God really knows what truth is? You begin to see how foolish it is. He distorts motives. It's not fair. Why would God give you all these plants and withhold from you that one little plant over there? That's not fair. Sounds like our little kids. That's not fair. You gotta be fair. No, I don't. <laughs> I set the rules. You live by them. That's fair. Okay? Because the rules, especially the rules God sets, are the correct rules. Okay? That's not fair. Now, turn with me to Matthew 4. Either on your cell phone or pad, but I really like to hear pages turning. I was talking with one of, the, one of you before. They've done a study... And he said, the last thing you should have in a classroom is your laptop. That you should be writing longhand the, what the professor has to say or what's going on. Because then you're using mind, eye, pen, and you have to think about what you're writing. And they say, those who do that learn better than those who use their laptop. Isn't that interesting? 
all this time, IBM, Apple, Samsung has been selling us on how to learn less than perfectly. <laughs> so that's why I like paper Bibles or Bibles with paper pages. You have here Matthew 4, 1 to 11, the temptation of Jesus. And look at verse 3. And again, let's put it in context. Jesus' baptism, he is the dove spirit of God rests upon him. He hears a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Like, yes, my son, my son. Verse 3, the tempter came to him. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves. Right there you have the first one, distorts God's word, distorts it by saying, if you are the son of God, putting a question mark in there. I just heard his father say, you are my son, with whom you I am well pleased. Uh, verse 5, devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And again, he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. He questions God's work because he really quotes uh, from one of the Psalms, he'll command his angels concerning you on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone and right there he's saying well sure if you throw yourself off your father has to rec rescue you which is not what the word said. First of all it's poetry therefore it's imagery. Therefore, it's not to be taken in a literal sense of throwing yourself off a temple. It's the sense that God will watch you over through all things. Okay, so he distorts God's word. He questions it. And then he distorts God's motives. When he said in uh, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high, very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, said... All these I will give to you if you will only fall down and worship me. All of this. You can sidestep the years of pain and agony. You can sidestep the cross. You can sidestep everything God's planned for you. Just one other little thing. Ten seconds, that's all I'm asking. On your knee, worship me, get up, and it's all yours. Well, that's distorting God's motives. His motives were for his son to go through all the process of being human and facing all of us. See, he has, Satan hasn't changed his tactics in all these years. So how do you see that working out in your life or in our culture? How does he question God's word? How does he distort it? Okay. We're going to decide. We are going to be independent. Indeed. Yeah, indeed has God said one man, one woman for life. Oh, come on. Get with this is the 21st century. 
we are so wiser than they were back there in the first century and in the, with Moses wrote, come on, come on, think about it. We know so much more than they did back then. Obviously, you can't have that kind of restriction on marriage. They want to be autonomous. You know who started autonomy? Burger King. Have it your way. That's right. Up until then, you could only order and you got the way, got it the way they made it. Then Burger King came out and said, have it your way. Made great commercials. And now when you go to a restaurant, they say, do you want everything on it or not? All right. You're the autonomous one. You're an independent thinker. See, it's built into our culture. And the problem is it's built into us. Because we still think that way. Okay? But you see, it's tactics. And when you look at what happens in culture, that's what you're always looking for. How does he distort? How does he question? How does he distort God's motives? Uh, I come from a background where they think that uh, homosexuality is okay, where marriage should be same sex, whatever they've, and they haven't yet to really begin to do what they want to do. And behind it is always distorting God's motive, that the prime motive of God is love. And since God loves us and God wants us to have what we want, therefore, these things are right. Just a tiny little, you know, God loves us all. Does that fit in with the scriptures? Esau, I hated. Jacob, I loved. You, you can't point that out to them. They just, oh, that's Old Testament. <laughs> That's right. And they can't tolerate intolerance in other people. But they can't tolerate their own intolerance. Okay. Or they can tolerate their own intolerance. Okay. You see, even Jesus went through the same thing that Adam did. And here, Adam's in a perfect environment. He had a good breakfast that morning. He did his work. Jesus is out in the wilderness he hasn't eaten for 40 days, probably hasn't had any water. You know what you're like after a 40-day fast? You try it. You are deplenished. You are tired. You are, you're looking, you know, even a rock looks good to eat by, after 40 days. And that's when the temptation, at his lowest point, possible point, that's when Satan tempts it. There's a difference between the two. Okay. Now we go to the fall, Genesis 3.16, or 3.6, excuse me. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The question has always been, why why would they do this again nothing inherent within them that would cause them to do this because they were perfect there is no mar there's no 
sin. There's no defect within them. They live in, again, I said, the perfect environment. Everything they want. Everything that makes you, there's a Maslow triangle. Everything was there in perfection. So the question is, why in the world would they do it? And there are basically two, fact, two explanations. One says there were two factors. Uh, you look at the sequence of events where Satan comes in and tests or tempts Eve. And she sees what it's like. She takes of the fruit. And here's what gets most people. Adam was there when she did it because he was there with her. He had been given the direct commandment of God. And then he takes it from Eve and eats. See, Eve normally gets off because she was deceived. She had secondhand information. She deceived. Adam. Adam is the one in the rest of the Bible, as you read through the, the scriptures, Adam is the one who's blamed. Not Eve. But again, why? Why would Adam do this? Any answers? Sure. There, there's Eve who is a perfect partner for Adam. A gift from God. And if I don't eat, she's going to die and I'm left to myself. Now, did it ever enter his mind? God can give you another partner. You do have a few more ribs, Adam. <laughs> Come on. He took it from one side, he could take it from the other side. And make a new woman. And that's for some reason, for some people, that's it. He didn't want to lose his wife. And a lot of us, if you're married and you have a good relationship here with your wife, the last thing you like to think about is the wife or the husband dying. You don't want to lose them. Okay, I've seen this in hospital rooms. Don't go, don't go, don't go. They're going. Don't worry. They, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Don't go. Don't go. Because you don't want to lose it. Jeff, you? Yeah, okay. He looks at Satan. You're still around. You should have been dead a long time ago. You should have been dust. Well, spirit. You should have been Casper the ghost gone. But, and he says, well, if it didn't happen to you, it won't happen to me. Okay, good. Deanna. time sequence she picks she eats 
She turns, picks again, or maybe the same fruit, and gives it to Adam. He accepts it. He still has a choice whether he's going to eat it or throw it down. Okay? Yeah, okay. So, so Adam is going through, he can't call it guilt because he's not sinful yet. But he said, man, I should have slapped that fruit out of her hand as soon as she picked it. Okay? Is that what you're getting to? So think of the creative things the way. Poof! Get rid of that! Go back home and cook supper. No, no. <laughs> not in my garden. You're not doing it. But he didn't. And, you know, you have to decide, was, if, if he had any guilt, could he have any guilt, could he have any second thoughts, because he didn't stop Eve. Again, he's still perfect, because he hasn't sinned. But it's crouching at the door. Okay? Well, but that's a good idea. That's, that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why you've never heard me say apple. I just say piece of fruit. For all I know is a tangerine. <laughs> or kumquat or something like something a banana fruit? I don't know. No, but the the idea is Adam had the opportunity but did not for whatever reason. And that's why he is blamed. It is the sin of Adam. Not the sin of Adam and Eve. It's the sin of Adam that led to the fall. And that's what it is. So, some people say, again, this idea of autonomousness or independence entered in at that moment and they wanted to set themselves apart from God. Uh, some may even say, and one of the explanations I know is go back to Genesis 1.26 for the way in which God created them. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion. 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And they took a look at the word Image means a resemblance to God, uh, one who looks like him. It's the idea of a stamp. Uh, when you get a quarter, you have a stamp of, is it Washington that's on a quarter? You have a stamp of Washington. That's what we think he looked like only because of Stewart's uh, paintings, okay? But that's the image of George Washington. We are the image of God. We are the stamp of God. But... They also say we are the likeness of God. That could be the two same things. It could be uh, amplification of what the image is. Or it could be another part. That being the likeness of God means that there are qualities within us 
which are from God, such as will, reason, intelligence, creativity, uh, holiness. There are things, lovingness, the willingness to make commitments, uh, the ability to work. Those are all the kind of likenesses. And I find it interesting that God, the scripture says, grow up in the likeness of Christ. The image of Christ is stamped on us, but we grow up into the likeness of Christ to become more like him in his character. Not that we look like him, but that with that same character. And in that way, what is lacking in Adam and Eve at the moment they are tempted is not the image, but a full likeness. They're still growing in that likeness, just as you and I grow in our likeness with Christ. They're still finding out what it is to be holy and in relationship. I mean, Adam didn't look at Eve and say, Whoa, I know the whole thing about you. No, he had to grow in that relationship. They had to grow in love and commitment. And at the time of the temptation was exactly the right place where they had enough knowledge to be dangerous, but not enough to be secure. And what God's purpose in saying, don't eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the tree of good and evil is, I will teach you what it is to have good and evil. But it's a progress. It will work. You seen this in your own Christian life? You start out as a baby Christian and you think that certain things are okay. I mean, I know new Christians who still believe some of the, the cultural sins of our society are okay and they go along with it. They'll live together. They'll... Uh, fornicate together. They have no idea that it's sinful, it's wrong. And, uh, you know, I counseled a woman once, a lady, girl once, can I marry an unbeliever? And she'd been a Christian for four or five years. I'm going, hold it. Well, that's an easy question. Second Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked. She goes, whoa, I never saw that. See, she's still growing in her likeness. And that without, with that lack of righteousness, to know right from wrong, they were just at the right point to be tempted and to think there's another way than the slow process of growth. Now, that's a possible explanation. The serpent came into the garden at just the right time. And he got him. And maybe Adam was standing next to Eve and she ate and turned around and handed it to him. And he said, you know, maybe she's got something there. If I eat it, we'll short circuit what maybe God wants, but we'll get there anyway. And he ate it and they fell. Does that make sense? Get some... I guess some people call, and I guess some people, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, the, the next.
Yeah, okay, that's a possibility. But the question keeps coming back. Why? Why wouldn't they honor him? There's nothing that would tell them not to honor the God. He'd given them everything. They knew that they were de absolutely dependent. They were underneath his authority. What is it that would make them not want to honor? I, we understand Romans 1 is written after the fall. And everybody has that problem. We do not want to honor God and therefore we go our own way, autonomous or independent. But why the first couple? Well, let me let you in on a secret. In 2,000 years of Christian thinking, nobody has answered that question to anybody's satisfaction. Jonathan Edwards tried, and Jonathan Edwards is considered the premier American theologian and philosopher, even though he was back in the 1700s. He sat down and he analyzed it, and he, he lived in a period where he was not distracted with MTV and the Bengals game and uh, Facebook and all that. He sat down and he pondered this over and over again and basically could say, I have no idea. And nobody else in all the history of the church has really come up with a satisfactory answer. All we know, it couldn't come from inside like our sin does. It had to be something outside. But what would make them forsake what they knew to be right to do what was wrong? That's question number three when I get to heaven. First question, Lord, why me? Of all the people you could have saved, why me? Second question, why Peg? Why were we married? Third question, why did Adam and Eve fall? You know, I have priorities, come on. <laughs> but the sense is, we just don't know. But that's, see, this is what Bible reading does. It throws you into those questions. It makes you think deeply. This is why when you read your Bible, it's not just surface reading. It's a mine that you are digging for the gold. And you're going down as far as you can with the ability that you have and the tools that you have to find the, the precious metal that's in there. If I understood why, I'd write a book, I'd make a gazillion dollars, and we could buy a whole new piece of property. Okay? What happens in the fall shows us the nature of sin. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, and he defines that, desire the flesh. Boy, that looks good. Desire or desire the flesh. Man, it would be nice to be right and know right and wrong. Desire the eyes. Boy, that, fr that fruit really looks good. I mean, I've seen fruit like that before, but that is the best fruit I've ever seen. And the pride of possession. You know, if I just take it, it's mine. It's mine. It's not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Wasn't that the promise to Adam and Eve? Do not touch. Do not eat. You will abide forever. Then he goes, 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness and the definition of sin. Sin is lawlessness. It is autonomy. 
It is independence. It is going down the road. It's going down 675 where it's posted at 65 and deciding, I can go 80. I can make my own law. It's fine because I am me and I'm driving and I have to get somewhere. So I am going to go 80 miles an hour. And then when the policeman pulls you over, you give that defense. Sir, don't you know who I am? <laughs> don't you know I have a place to be? Don't you know that I have to get there right now so I can do 80 miles an hour, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. And he writes out the ticket. See, sin is lawlessness. So the next time you go over 65, which I did coming down, you are sinning. The next one, was the future curse fair since Adam was the, the, one, the one who did the eating? Was it fair? And if it was fair, why? I'm not hearing any answers. Was it fair? Okay. Resounding, yes. Resounding. I mean, you not only exclamation mark, a couple lines after underneath it. Why? I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. You make the rules. You get. It's like uh, Godell, the leader of the NFL. I make the rules. You got to follow them. Come on. Okay. Okay. The question, and part of the question is, why Adam? Why didn't I get chosen for it? Come on, that's really behind the question. Was it fair? He's the first man, and he is, what about him? He made in God, so am I. What about him? First of all, he's perfect. He does not have the problem that we have. Is you know, he was perfect. What else? Okay. I mean, Adam of all creatures was the most, the, the most, the perfect one to glorify God because there was no defect in him. Okay. What else? He represents. He represents all people. Don't you like our form of government? We vote for the people who represent us, right? We send them to Washington, to Columbus, to Dayton, to Huber Heights, to Riverside. And we say, okay, you represent us. Now do what needs to be done to make a better community, state, government, or federal, or country, right? That's what we do. 
And when we don't like what they do, what do we do? No, we gripe and complain. That's all we ever do. As guys who've been there for 50 years and keep getting elected. No. We vote them down. But while they're there, they're our representatives. We don't vote on every bill that goes through all the legislatures. They do it. And we hopefully send people who will represent us in a proper way. That's the whole idea. Adam, being perfect, was the best representative God could have chosen. He's absolutely the best. You would not want anybody else to represent you than Adam. Well, you see, that's what, that's where you get into the whole idea of representation. Because what does God do when he sends his son? He makes him the supreme representative. How come the mind and the hand aren't working in the same way? I mean, he is the supreme representative. And the Old New Testament talks about Jesus as being what? Second Adam. First Adam fail, second Adam completes. He brings it back. Okay. Um, the other part of the nature of sin and what, what took place, you'll see from James 1. And I know you all know this because John preached on this a few weeks ago. Well, maybe a couple months ago. And you'll all remember what John said when he preached on this, right? Of course, yes. Record that and send it to him. Okay? He needs the encouragement. We all do. Verse 13, chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Again, Lord, like a fishing line, enticed by the desire. Uh, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. There's that process. And you see a very similar process happening with Adam and Eve. They were lured. You know, Satan puts it out in front of them. They had a desire. They fell into that desire. That desire moved into death. Okay? Notice where it all begins. Up here. They had no experience of it. And in some ways, that maybe never was in their vocabulary. What's death? Yeah, I mean, everything lived. You know, they could have been in the garden for 300 years before this happened. And everything lived. 
Even the dinosaurs lived. Okay? There's no experience. But given the possibility, the imagination is when it began to take hold. Why? It, we need air up here. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's part of their innocence. But at the same time, that doesn't really describe why. Why you knew the, you knew the absolute commandment of God with its penalty. You may not have known what death was, but you knew it wasn't good. Because God had said, it's not good. He has hinted at that. But you see, this is where it, it begins in the mind, it works in the imagination, and then there's the opportunity, and finally, there's the sin. Possibility. However, is their imagination correct? I can imagine being Robert Redford. I am not Robert Redford. <laughs> okay? But I can imagine things. But even in our imagination, there is something in the background that gives us that spark of imagination. If we haven't experienced it, we've learned about it. Did the word death? When the eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Was there something in that word that God gave to Adam that could spark the imagination? Maybe. Who knows? That's question number 53. Adam, come over here. <laughs> Did you know what die meant? Okay. Death doesn't come in until sin. So, so sin has to be committed before death comes. Again, that's one of the issues with creation. Can death come before Adam fell? And usually it said no. Because it's sin that disrupts everything. That brings us to our next section. The ruptured relationship. Okay. Thank you for the, uh, the introduction. Okay. The eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? Which is one of the silliest questions in the Bible. Because God knows exactly where they are. You think he put blinders on us? I can't see you. Hide and seek. Come out. Ali, Ali, in free. Oh, where are you? So he, Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, and what is this that you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
You notice what happens? The rupture that takes place. Before the garden, they were naked and unashamed. And the first thing that happens, they eat and they look at each other and go, I can't look at you. I am ashamed to see you in your nakedness. And so they make their own clothing. You want to know where clothing comes from? Clothing comes from Genesis 3. They made it out of leaves. And they tried to cover themselves because they were naked and ashamed. People say when you're about ready to speak before a crowd, think of them in their underwear. And I'm going, what? <laughs> That's naked. I, they're half naked and I'd be ashamed to think about that. But they say, well, that loosens you up. I said, take a good deep breath. That'll do the same thing. <laughs> and they tried to cover themselves because that's what happens when you're a sinner. You want to cover yourself. We're very good at covering ourselves, right? Okay. And then the Lord God comes walking in the garden. Do you see what gracious, graciousness is in that phrase? He knows what they've done. He planned it from all eternity. He knows it experimentally because he, he, he was there in a sense when they did it. But what's he do? Like any other day, he comes walking in the garden. Actually, after Genesis 6, he should have gone, poof, you're done. Get out of here and remake the world. But he comes graciously to them. And what do the man and woman do? They hide themselves, which people do constantly. We love the darkness and hate the light. And again, that's why sin is so foolish. How do you hide yourself from God? Wherever I go, if I go up the highest mountain, you're there. If I go down the deepest parts of the sea, you're there. If I go as far away from my home as I can, you're still there. I can't get out of your Presence is the way the psalmist put it. But the Lord God called. And again, graciousness. And he said to Adam, Why? Where are you? Well, I was naked. I don't want to see by you. I don't want to be with you. How do you know? Did you eat of the tree? Notice the blame shifting. He didn't say, Yes, sir. I did what was wrong. I'm sorry. I confess my sin. I repent, forgive me. He goes, that woman, that woman who you created for me and gave to me, that woman did it. Hadn't changed in families very often, has it? <laughs> well, if I didn't have the boss I had, my work would be wonderful. Or, I didn't mean to do that. I had to go 80 miles an hour, sir, because I had to get to an appointment. See, blame shifting all the time. The woman simply says, the serpent deceived me. He, she doesn't even want to take ownership. And you see the broken relationship between the man and the woman. Imagine what it was like when they went back to the hut that night. And Eve looks at Adam. What did you say about me? <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. And the serpent simply sits there with his chest, chestire cat smile. Isn't this great? See what I did to God's creation. See what I did. He's just loving it. 
God and humans. You know, we make this this uh, claim that our uh, that when sin enters, the relationship between God and us is broken, which is partly true, but it's not partly true, because God is always our God. He's God of everyone. Whether it's positive or negative relationship depends upon your position in Christ. What sin does is break the fellowship. And this is what it shows. Adam and Eve hid because they didn't want the fellowship. They didn't try running away because the relationship was still there. And this is what happened. And this is, isn't this what the cross is? It's not restoring a relationship that God has already planned from before the foundation of the world. It's restoring the fellowship within that relationship. And I think that's the way we need to be saying it. Oh, that guy has no relationship with God. And I say, yes, he does. It's not good, but he has a relationship with God, and he'll find it out. Then you have the curse. And again, you go back to the covenant, part of the covenant of works. Eat this fruit, you die. He doesn't define death right there or what he means, but he does define it now. To the serpent, you're cursed above all livestock. That's why serpents are one of the most hated animals next to spiders. And the 30,000 types of spiders there are. <laughs> but, you know, you don't, you don't even have to be around too long before you see a snake in the glass, grass. You go, ah, crazy. Why? It's just an animal. But it is cursed. It grows. And here's the first evidence of saving grace. Verse 15. I'll put my enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Notice the word. It doesn't say offsprings. It's offspring. Singular. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That he, you will give him a momentary pain, but he will give you complete destruction. That's the first, what they call the proto-evangelicon. The first good news of the Bible comes right after sin. To the woman, he said, I'll multiply, surely multiply your pain in childbirth. I wonder if that meant that when, if she were had a child be, before she ate, would she have had uh, pain? Or would it have been a walk in the park? It's not a walk in the park now, I can tell you that. I've seen four births. No, I wouldn't want to put my wife through that again for anything. Yes, I would, because it would be nice to have another child. No, I just... <laughs> but the pain is absolutely, it's agonizing, even when you can have uh, medical help. Your desire shall be, or your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and you, he shall rule over you. Already there's a conflict that's built into the relationship. That's why honeymoons are so important. You see, in those week or two when you're together, all of a sudden you get to see the bad side of your spouse. And you get to see like ice crunching with your wife. 
And all of a sudden, you're like, dated her and we went out and we ate at restaurants and all these places and I never even knew it but when we got married she began she crunched ice and she's always done it and that's contrary to me <laughs> see and that's just a tiny little incident not even almost not worth talking about and he shall rule over you there is this this enmity between the two strained relationship Adam says, you've listened to the voice of your wife. You've eaten of the tree. Cursed is the ground because of you. And all of a sudden, creation itself changes. And now the lion no longer lays down with the lamb, which will be reversed when Christ comes back. Its work is now difficult. Uh, you do work outside, clearing brush, mowing lawn. If you're like me, the perspiration comes flowing out. And I used to be able to do that 10 to 12 hours a day. And when I was done, I was tired. I was really, I slept well that night. But it's cause, because of the ground of curse. If the ground wasn't cursed, I could go out work 10, 12 hours go, yeah, that was fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. <laughs> but that's the curse. And all work in one way has a curse to it. Let me give you the other side, though. God allowed that curse. Why do you think he allowed that curse? Back to this question, why? Why is work difficult? It's a possibility. If it's easy, we wouldn't think we need God's help. Except no matter how much work you do, you never get it done. I still got it. Okay, what else? Well, if it's easy, yeah, we wouldn't think sin was so bad. How can I handle this one? To glorify God, yeah. But why does it glorify God? I'm sorry, what? He makes everything a success? Okay. In six days, yeah. But what is it about work that would glorify God? And the work being difficult. Okay, you need God's heart. I wouldn't say he makes things easy. No. If you ever been in a hospital with a patient dying of cancer, it's not easy. Pain is, you have to do it because death is a portal into eternal life. But it's not easy. makes it easier, but, but it doesn't make it easy. Okay? And even using the word easier says to you, says to everyone, it's not easy. It's just easier. 
less productive. What else? Okay. Okay, they would do more evil. What is it in work that God can use? And it has to be difficult. What's the purpose of God in your life? Suffering produces character, and the rest goes from that. And what is the character that God is working to develop within you? Character of Christ. How else is that defined? Give you a hint. Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Right? How do you learn how to love people? You work with people that are unlovely, that ruin your day. And God puts you in that position so you know what it is to love like he loves you and you love that person. Hey, boss, how's your day been? Oh, I'm sorry to hear you're not having a good day. Is there anything I can do to help? You're learning love. Peace. How do you learn to keep integrated? in the midst of a disintegrating place. Joy. How do you learn joy unless you're not in a place of joy? Go through those nine characteristics of one fruit and you see that's what work is. That's why work's difficult. God, the Holy Spirit is teaching you the fruit in every situation. I don't know how many times he's had to teach me that. Again and again and again. Because that's where that's his training ground. You see how gracious it is for God to curse our work? How else would we get out of our sin nature? Ooh. Okay. Um, by the sweat of your face, you should eat bread. Return to the ground. And here's a, the one that we love on Ash Wednesday. If you're used to Ash Wednesday services, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You're going to return back to the full stuff. You also notice on the other side, the new birth is the change of all these. When the Lord returns, we are going to be rebuilt and restored and repaired. But all of work right now, all of life right now is a process of getting ready for that. Then comes the expulsion. Where God made Adam and Eve a wife garments of skins and clothed them. Again, see the graciousness. He didn't have to. He could have left them to fend for themselves. He makes garments of skins. Now, where did the skins come from? An animal. Some say a lamb. Could be a bull, a calf. Had to be something a big, big enough to, for both of them. 
But he had to kill one of his own creation and put together the clothing because Adam and Eve didn't know how to sew. They had no reason to sew up until then. And he clothes them exactly the right way. He throws them out of the garden. He sent them out to work the ground outside of the garden. And then he sends a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way to the entrance of the tree of life. Again, the grace. He doesn't automatically kill them. He makes garments. He removes them so they will not eat the tree of life and live forever in the state in which they live. He gives them work to do, even outside the garden. He bars the way so they can't re-enter, thinking, you know, you get a day or two down the road and you go, man, if we went back and ate the tree, we could live forever. We don't have to worry about this dying stuff. And it also recognized there's a broken relationship between them, a broken fellowship between them and God. Now, that's three. Then you have four to 11, and we'll run through these quickly. You see the spread of sin and death. It's, it's progressive. It's growing. It's passed down through the generations, um, partly because we are all representative by Adam and therefore we automatically have it. And part of it, they understand it happens in the act of procreation that the, the combination helps sin to be created within us. You know, we come back to that phrase, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. And that happens. And you see it expanding. Cain and Abel. Why did Cain murder Abel? Yeah, jealous. And God says, it's your anger. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say unto you, if you are angry at your brother, you have murdered them in your heart. Cain shows the very beginning of that. He murders his own brother. And in that is set apart. Uh, again, God confronts Cain and Abel and he sidesteps it. He lies about it. Am I my brother's keeper? Really? Did he die? I didn't know that. Am I supposed to watch after? The genealogy. You have two strains there. And it's already begin to dis differentiate. You have God Seth's godly strain and then you have Cain's ungodly strain. And they're selective genealogies. That is, not everyone is mentioned. They pick some of the highlights along the way. That, indeed, they, they pick important people that they want. So it, it looks like it could be a, maybe a couple, three, four, five, six centuries. It could have been thousands of years. But it truncated. Um, but there is one common theme. And then he died. Notice, look at that chapter and look at the times. Adam is about 120 years old when he dies. 920 years old. When it gets down to Terah, the end of the line, it's about 209. And you see this decrease. Periodically it'll increase, but you see the decrease over the genealogy. That sin is having its effect. That we no longer live as, as much as we could. Then you get to flood. 
And there is a thing, the sons of man married the sons of God. And there are those who say, well, that's the angels came down, sons of God, and they cohabitated with the sons of man. Now, I think what he's saying is Seth's line is the sons of God. Cain's line is the sons of men. And they were doing what Paul would say to the Corinthians, do not be, uh, yeah, do not be unequally yoked. Believers with believers. And all of a sudden, you see in there how sin increases so that there is none. And God repents of having ever made human beings. And so he goes and he develops this, this thing of a flood um, and eight people in which eight people are saved. And First Peter talks about that's an image of the cross. And you get to the end and then you have the expansion of the covenant. The stipulations are added. Uh, not only are you fruitful and multiply and do the work, but for those who murder, they are to be murdered. That's one of the stipulations. And then they're given the sign. And the sign is a rainbow, which has been stolen from us. Why do you think it was stolen from us? It's a way of distorting God's word. So, used to wear stoles with rainbows and you could wear pins with a rainbow. If you do that now, you're linked into a whole different group. Uh, and even at the end of the flood, you still see that sin is deeply ingrained in people. It says that uh, Noah, I once preached a sermon on Jonah and I called him Noah for the whole sermon. So I have to be careful when I go Noah and Jonah. Noah gets drunk, goes to sleep. Ham comes in and it says he looked upon his father. And then he went out and told his brothers. Well, I have a friend who did a search on that. It says when he looked upon his father, it has the idea of intimacy, of a homosexual act with his father. Didn't take very long, did it? And that's why Ham or excuse me, Noah kicks Ham out because and his brothers are upset at him. And then you have the Tower of Babel where people are united in a common language. They want to make a name for themselves. We're back to autonomy and independence. The Lord discerns it. He knows that there's an unlimited mischief if it stays that way. And so he confuses the language and disperses them over the earth. And what's the counter to that? Yeah. Pentecost. People from all the regions of the known world come together. They hear the gospel in their own language. Now the question is, did the apostles speak in other languages, or did they speak and the Spirit gave understanding in the language of the hearing of the people? Don't know. Doesn't tell us exactly. We usually think apostles spoke in a whole different languages. Possible. But all of a sudden, the church is united. Whether you came from Rome or Africa or even from Babylon and all all together under one language, one person, and that's Christ. 
You see, all these themes are picked up as you go along, these first 11 chapters. See, that's why I don't like it's the parish kingdom. The parish kingdom has the idea that it was destroyed. No. He was gracious to Adam and Eve. He continued on the line of Seth. He continued on with the line of Noah. He continued even through the Tower of Babel. And all it was, was it was a perverted kingdom. It was tainted. It was twisted. It was not the way he had created it, but the way he had planned it to come. And all of this were recipients of what has taken place. So, Yeah, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily perish. It was perverted spiritually. But it wasn't, it, perish means the idea it was done away with, at least to me. The kingdom wasn't done away with. It's still there. It's just in, in hiding. It's not as clear as, as you will see it. Even next time we get together, which is January 21st? Okay. 31st. The week before the Steelers go to the Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> hey, come on, come on. We all have hope. Suffering produces character. Character produces hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, yeah, if Cleveland... <laughs> Cleveland and Cincinnati were that, that, that's hope that's hope beyond hope. <laughs> next year, next year, right? Uh, but you've seen it from two people to a group of people who are have who have perverted what God has created. And next time we'll start taking a look at Abraham and we'll see the covenant that God made with that and how he begins another part of the total plan that's moving toward the first century and toward the 21st century. A couple things about homework. Uh, I, I still have some homework to pass out. Uh, I, I, do, I don't grade it A, B, C, D, and F, but I will underline or circle or ask questions of things that you have said that either I don't understand or I think may just vary a little bit from what the answer should be. So, and you'll find on the top, I'll probably say fine, good, thanks. Don't make that an ABC when you talk with one another. Well, you got a good, I only got a fine. Oh, <laughs> I know students, I know how they work. They, they do. There's nothing more than that you have done the work, I've noted it. And I have read through each and every one of them. Four cups of coffee. <laughs> no, it's about that. Uh, if you want to pass in your homework, and I still have some of the old ones yet to come out to people here. Um, and we'll be back here on January 31st. Yeah. I, th I think it's the 21st.
because we're, we're going to do it February, excuse me? Yeah, and that's that's where we, we had to move it to the 21st. Let's go with the 21st because I think the next one is the first or second weekend in February. Maybe the first weekend in February. I'll be here in my black and gold celebrating the Steelers going to... <laughs> Somehow you guys just aren't excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it have to be. Yeah. Um, so you, you get a nice happy holiday and some of you are off classes and some of you get some extra time off so you can do some extra reading. And studying and thinking. Remember when you read the scriptures, you ask yourself these questions. Why, when, what, who, where, how? And you keep asking those questions. The why question is the biggest one. To get below the surface. Why did this happen? And I've spent a lot of time today working on that. Just so you realize. Why? Okay? I'm going to tell you how Greg and John do their Bible work, getting ready for their classes. Yeah. I see. The, Parish says to me, "It's it's dead. It's gone." Yeah. And there's still a godly line. It hasn't stopped. It didn't. It didn't stop with Adam, and all of a sudden have to be picked up with Abraham. It's in there all the time. You got Noah and others that are there. Well, the author likes peas and corn. No, he likes peas. Everything he does is peas. Pattern, perished, partial. So I decided let's try to keep it in the spirit of the author. Perverted. No, his spirit isn't perverted. The word is perverted. You gotta watch yourself when you talk. What you say, they they take it the wrong way. Oh, thank you. Okay, let's close with prayer. Father, thank you that as you have taught us and as you have given to us insight, thank you, O oh Lord, that as we ask the tough questions of a passage, you grant to us some insight, and maybe you just tell us, yeah, wait until you see me, then I'll tell you. And we can live with that because you are a God who is good and holy and loving and we can trust you even when we don't have the answers because we know you have a purpose and we know you know what needs and what is happening. Therefore, we place our hands in you. Be with us over the holidays. Let us celebrate the great gift of your son in a manger but even more the great gift of your son on a cross, a son on an empty tomb and the Son ruling over all and in our hearts. Let us see Jesus and Him high and lifted up. For this is our desire since we're your children. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Good.